Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, lovely listeners. I have my Earl Grey at the ready. My mouth is primed to narrate, and I'm here to bring you a creepypasta that is sure to keep you guessing. Today's episode is Mindfire by Ian O'Neill. The story discusses concepts of war, chemical gases, and insanity on the battlefield. And a little bit more, but I'll leave that for the story. <laughs> I'm also going to do a quick set of shoutouts here to my recent SoundCloud commenters and reposters. Big props to Star Eve 2099, Hex Sniped IT, Lynn Geis, Doug Hill 2, Cut Cobain, Mark Craig, Valao, whose poem Minds of Whispin in episode 275 was showcased. Give it a listen, it's brilliant. I Own Cows, Steed, Arkin Brother, Chad Warren, Nida Martoni, and Ray Samsel. Thank you for being so active. Now, turn the lights off, turn up the sound, grab a hot beverage, and join me for something different. It's funny in a way, how even the most sickening of experiments or discoveries can be covered up by time. The way that some people can just move on from something even if it's inhumanely brutal. Some things can never be forgotten, and some will suffer forever. However, such as these didn't include the article laying spread out in my palms, 37 British troops found severely mutilated from barbed wire. One missing. I should explain. I'm a 19-year-old student from Central Maine. Every once in a while, I call into this library, about a mile from my school. It remains as a dusty red brick relic, gathering enough knowledge over time to be a great source of information for whenever I need it whether that information is remembered or forgotten. On one such day, while rummaging through the World War I history section for a school project, I came across the article previously mentioned planted inside a book detailing trench warfare and all major discoveries surrounding it. On page 52, lodged inside was this article, along with a small letter still sealed with a large red waxy splodge. As soon as I touched the article taken from the old newspaper, it felt dilapidated and eerie. The yellowish color contrasted with the fresh white feel of the book. Below the image was a photo of the troops before they were found dead. A squad of 37 young men, ranging in ages from 19 to 25, standing in three rows with what looked to be the inside of a trench as the background. It stated that those men had only just arrived from Britain before they died, fresh from the barracks, I thought. To its bottom left was a much smaller separate image of the man who went missing. The small print beside the image stated that he was the last survivor of the previous squad when the new one arrived. He seemed more mature than the others, and definitely far more vicious. A tattered black beard and ominous bloodshot stare shone through to me from the black and white image. To add to its current eeriness, he was also smiling. 
and not just a stark, casual smile, but a massive grin, showing portions of his gleaming white teeth at either end. Charles Patrickson, last seen on May 16, 1916. Image taken on May 14, 1916. And as I sat back in this old, vast library in late 2017, I suddenly felt curious to know about Charles Patrickson, who and where he might have been, and where he eventually died. I decided to head off back home and do some research on this event. The library was still in its ancient phase, and hadn't any computers, which came across as unfortunate. I checked out the book and strolled back to my apartment, tightly squeezed in between a coffee shop and a pharmacy. All the while, as I walked back though, this uneasy feeling swam around me. The corner of my mind, retaining that image of Charles staring back at me with that wide, toothy smirk. On some of these flashbacks, he would move a little inside the image. Not much, but just enough to notice. He swayed, gently from side to side, and kept up that unblinking stare and disturbing grin. When this happened, I would have to stop in the street and clutch my temples. I eventually arrived at home feeling awful and slumped back on my office chair to hear its frail creak. I craned open my laptop and booted it up. While that was happening, I flipped open the book to page 52, where the newspaper clipping was lodged. That's when I heard something slip out of the book and landed on the wooden floor beside it. It sounded thin, like paper, but still retained heaviness. I bent over the desk and suddenly remembered the envelope that came with the clipping, sealed with red candle wax and partially covered with the greenish mold. And then, I knew I couldn't stop myself. I knew that I was going to open that envelope and read everything it had to offer. It possessed that ominous quality about it, the type that lingers in your mind and begs to be revealed. I reached down and picked up the envelope. The sides, sealed with wax, came apart relatively easily. The wax even felt slightly spongy. At that time, when I opened it up and took out those diary entries, I was too eager to learn more that I didn't take into consideration what these entries might hold. My professor always acknowledged my expansive sense of curiosity. If only I had known what I was about to read though, I would have thrown all of it onto a massive bonfire and erase it from history forever. But there I was, willingly reading the final diary entries of Charles Patrickson, last seen on May 16th, 1916. May 10th, 1916. It's only me now. I'm the last one left on my squad. The last to leave me, Thomas, sprinted from me last night. He feared starvation for a reason I can't understand, due to the capacity of food left. He was shot down the moment he peered, his wee head out the edge. Rifle shots seemed to stifle into him from every direction. From my position, the body was kept upright, flailing around due to the constant gunfire. 
and then tumbled onto the patchy grass outside the trench. This was exactly how the rest of them went. At these times of disloyalty were the only times that the enemy fired anything other than gas. In the times when I don't have the gas, the putrid odour of their corpses deprives my sense of smell. Although, none of them are lying with me inside the trenches, they lie near. I hear the rodents and flies, which are attracted to them, and I hear them biting and chewing and scratching. At first, the silence from the enemy frightened me. That constant absence of bullets. I hugged the lice-covered walls and prepared for a vigorous surprise attack from any direction. But then, something happened, about ten days ago. There were at least twenty alive back then. Sometimes around noon, we were shelled from all around by a new gas. In some spots, it was as if the gas poured out of the walls. There were multiple cries and shouts to warn us, but they were lost in the thick wall of smoke the gas created around us. I couldn't see anything, be it one foot or twenty feet from me. I thrust my hand down to the utility belt tightly secured around my waist, reaching down in a mad effort hoping to find a gas mask. I found no mask. It suddenly occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to breathe in a matter of seconds and die a choking, painful death. But I didn't. In fact, that feeling I had with that black gas was better than any other I've ever felt. I was feeling high off my heels and no longer found life to be a thing to worry about. The gas almost talked to me. It said, Charles, it's okay now. You're doing just fine. My mother's voice. The war was totally forgotten about. The darkness lasted about 20 minutes. When my sight was regained, I stared across the trench to find the rest of my fellows still standing in the same position as before. Their gas masks seemed like frightened beasts. The entirety of the squad returned my stare as they flung off their monstrous masks in shock. The high feeling of the gas hadn't completely faded, and I uttered, Good day, chaps. Lovely weather we're having, you think? Followed by my answer to the gas's effect from my experience. Like dancing on angels, sir. Like not being down here. Then, there was Private Harry, perking his eyes out from behind another. That same indignantly awestruck expression. Charles, are you feeling right in the head there? There was a tinge of Northern Irish in his voice, accompanied by the tone of a man far older than his. Giving him a nonchalant smirk, I reassured him that he wouldn't have to worry about it. Ever since then, I've longed for the gas to come again. The gas makes me happy. The gas is my medicine, my friend. I'm beginning to wonder if saying that sounds crazy. I don't think it does. It carries me out from this disgusting war and into the free lands. It's not here now though and I am the only one left because only I was lucky enough to embrace the gas when it comes. Please, oh please, let the gas come soon. I just love that damn gas. Until the gas comes again, yours sincerely, Charles Patrickson. May 14, 1916 
a long strip of barbed wire surrounds the trench's rim. It usually appears hateful and twisted, but the gas helps that. The gas can and will help everything. When the gas comes, it looks like a big tasty candy cane for me to gobble up. It is the only thing visible in the gas, by the way. But I have bigger news. More recruits arrived today. A fresh batch ready to be eaten up. Many were uneasy due to my appearance and attitude. They described me as looking like a monster, but I took this as a joke. Through the reflection of me in the puddles, I could clearly see just another smiling face. They also brought an old cameraman who took our pictures. He took my one separate to the others, toward the front of the trench. I gave my best smile and asked him if he would be staying to die with them. He gave a solemn sort of laugh and told me that he would head back soon after taking mine. And the Germans let him go, just like that. When my whole squad previous had dared to dart away from the gas, they'd have been shot down instantly. But now one man was able to leave. But that doesn't matter to me much. I told the young men about my gas. I could tell by their expressions and shared glances of insecurity that my advice would not be taken and their gas masks wouldn't be tossed over the side. Although it means they won't be able to share the profound exotic feeling of my gas. It does mean more gas for me, right? Distributions of the gas have increased. I'm given one in the early morning, another in the afternoon, and a final one whenever the sun sets. It makes me feel better than ever before, but the longing feeling during those times, absent of it, have increased in severity. I sometimes wonder why the Germans haven't killed us already. Perhaps they are stocked with nothing more but the gas, and are not cruel Germans here to kill, but to instead share their gas with us. It confuses me, it does, but I'm still glad of it. Praise the gentle soul who created this gas. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. I salute you, Gas of peace, gas of forgiving, Charles Patrickson. May 19, 1916. I overhear them sometimes, you know, talking about me. The recruits, you see, they think I'm crazy. Crazy! They are crazy. They refuse to embrace the gas's majesty and they think of war and violence as cruelty. They think of many things. They have a plan to make a mad rush out of the trench and all the way back to Britain. Just like the last of my squad. After the gas began, that's the only time they were shot at. One by one, the fools tried to escape, but were picked off seemingly from everywhere. And now I think I know why, you see. We received some intercepted enemy intelligence today, which explained how the gas shelling us was called Geist Fire, which translates to Mind Fire. I respect its name and pledge my allegiance to Mind Fire, and wherever it takes me, praise Mind Fire, praise Mind Fire, praise Mind Fire. Charles Patrickson praises Mind Fire. 
Charles Patrickson praises Mindfire. 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 I slammed down the worn paper to my desk with that. This was messed up. This was so damn messed up. But there were still two entries remaining. Screw this, I thought, and stood up from the desk and walked out to the kitchen. I began to pour a glass of water with the glass clutched in a shaky hand when suddenly the title of the article flashed into my vision for a second. 37 British troops found severely mutilated from barbed wire. One, missing. Charles Patrickson and his gas had cut into the flesh of my mind. I tried not to think of those two things together. It was surely just a coincidence. I glanced down suddenly to find the glass overflowing. I gulped the water down like a cow and paced back to my desk. Everywhere I looked now, there he was, staring back at me with two crazy, bloodshot eyes and a massive grin. Maybe he just went insane and ran off into the woods. That didn't make sense, though. The gas was in the trench and not in the woods. Plus, he would have been shot down almost instantaneously. I gave a distorted cry as he has suddenly appeared here, sitting atop my desk, feet dangling from the edge like a puppet. He was smiling wildly, but in the spaces where I should have been were too dark caved in holes that seemed to stare through me. The air felt heavier around me now. No, this couldn't be real. I was being hysterical. Yes, Al, you got it. I murdered those men, Sal, and now I'm coming for you. The hallucination screamed in a deep, deafening tone. I began blinking vigorously, hoping it would get rid of this disturbing hallucination before me. And it did. That wasn't real. I sat back at the desk once more and continued reading. I knew how this was going to end, but still felt frightened and curious at the same time. May 16, 1916. Today was a great day for me. They said I did well. The men in the pink coat said that. They are my friends now. I can have all the mind fire I want. My room is very small, but it feels like paradise. It smells like perfume. Now they want me to write down my achievements from today. I hope you enjoy it, sweet sir. This morning, before the usual mind fire donation, I overheard my colleagues chatting again. But this time, they were even more angry about me. Apparently, I had been screaming that night in gibberish, which had scared them to death. I couldn't remember this. It wasn't me going insane, it was them, ignoring Mindfire. They were planning on killing me the following night, in my sleep, before I went totally mad. They have turned evil because they have denied the possibilities of Mindfire. They are jealous, repulsive. I thought to myself that they all had to die. All I wanted was to enjoy my gas, but then they moved in and ruined it. I bet that they only really want to kill me to have Mindfire all to themselves. I couldn't let that happen, but I knew I couldn't do this on my own. Not without Mindfire. So I waited, leaning up against one side of the trench until it came. It was raining today and rain meant that the water would pile up at the bottom 
and soak our shoes. It caused the mud to appear shiny and slippery, but that was okay. I didn't really mind. I knew that using my rifle would be far too loud to get the job done, so I searched for a new weapon of choice. There were knives and grenades, but nothing that stuck out to me. I decided that due to my worshipping, Mindfire would guide me through this, and that's just what it did. When it finally came at exactly noon, I became so excited. We were a team, Charles Patrickson and Mindfire. When we were done, we'd be able to dance all night. I noticed a small river that had been created by our feet. It continued to rise as the gas-blinding darkness entranced me. It was somehow beautiful and vibrant. I realized that I still wasn't carrying a weapon, and for a second I was frightened, but Mindfire showed me the path to take. I couldn't tell you why I did it, but I glanced up to see the big, tasty candy cane of barbed wire surrounding the rim of the trench. It was clear to me then what I was supposed to do. Thank, Thank you, Mindfire! I screamed from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your gift. I felt no pain after that, as I tore it down and wrapped myself tightly with it, snug as a bug. We rolled around in the brown river together, me, mine fire, and the barbed wire candy cane. I laughed out loud. This was fun. We were funny. I grasped the two ends of the barbed wire in each hand and flailed them around wildly as I began to trek through the everlasting darkness. It only took a second before I found my first victim, one of the youngest, 19 maybe? I tore off his gas mask with glee and mashed a handful of wire into his face and neck. I had to practically hug him to stop the squirming and resistance. His cries were reduced down to a crimson trail that trickled down his uniform. As he was released, a lifeless body fell back and splashed into the water. I felt relieved already, and I kept a joyful grin as we continued through, relieving ourselves as we progressed. Most went down without a fight. Barbed wire is quick to tear flesh. Our only injury was a stab through the shoulder, through a man's last attempt to resist mind fire. He died a tragic and abrupt death. When all thirteen had been executed and the gas had cleared, I gazed down upon my achievements. The previously dull river was now a beautiful blood flow. It somehow flowed angelically, and yet, gazing around at the men's corpses calmly bobbing in the water, I still wasn't purely satisfied. I felt as though their mockery still lingered in the air. I took another march through the trenches, wrapped snug in that sheet of barbed wire. This time, I aimed to make sure none of the men could be recognized by appearance if they were ever discovered. Mindfire was a religion now, and they were all going straight to the gates of Satan. After my second glorious round, everyone looked more like pieces of meat from a stew wrapped up in shredded uniforms covered in muck and blood than actual people. It looked all too similar to an attack from a large pack of animals so I knew then that I had to leave my mark. I heaved each of the disloyal traders to the front of the trench and began to form a pile. As new bodies were added, I intertwined the barbed wire through the assortment. 
I made sure that everyone was packed in tightly to form a box shape. Arms and legs jutted out from places, but their natural shape was generally retained. I could no longer smell the stench as I came to notice. Just another of Mindfire's wonders. When I was finished, I drew up each end of the wire to form a bow. My work here was finally complete. I clambered up atop of the stack, as I had come to call it, and rested. The men in the pink coats came then, with their soaring wings and masks of white. They were carrying a large nozzle that immediately filled me up with mind fire. I saw these two men as guardians and called over to them. Fellow believers, welcome to my altar. Neither of them responded through the white masks, but at the touch of the two pairs of hands clutching me from either side, I got the idea that they were going to bring me back to their church. I don't remember much of what happened after that. I was a blind man being guided through uncharted land. I do remember being carried down what seemed like stairs at a point in the center of the forest. There was the sound of a large metal door being swung open, and then we were descending. I was then thrown into the cell that I'm currently residing in. The cell is about two meters in length and three feet high. Although I'm somewhat grateful of what they're doing for me, I am suffering from this awful sense of dread. See, I'm not allowed to talk to anybody, and that didn't feel too bad for the past few days. But now, I don't know. It's just sort of started. It's also quite warm in here, and I'm finding it hard to breathe. I, I think they've opened up the door now because it feels slightly cooler, and I can hear these muffled sounds. Hands are reaching for me now, groping around the page. I imagine they're looking for this entry, so I'm just going to end it now. As always, praise Mindfire and its creator. Please, turn the heat down. Charles Patrickson My hands were unable to keep a grasp on the paper, and it flopped out of my reach. I must have appeared to look pale, because I felt like a sick dog. Usually things like gore tend not to affect me, but this was different. It was like when a deranged psychopath tries to justify his actions by the perspective that he is the innocent one. But, oh god, I know it was World War I, and so much more disgusting things happened, but I'd never read anything like this. There was the fact as well that at any point I could have stopped reading and move on, but I didn't. I wouldn't let me. My overbearing sense of curiosity. There was one more page left. This last page was different to the others. It appeared to be printed from some computer program. The background was primarily made up of a dark navy with small white text lapsed over it in what appeared to be German. It was like I was addicted to some bad habit because before I even realized it, I was halfway through translating the document. Even this realization, because this was all slowly beginning to make sense, and what seemed like an eternity of sifting through and slowly translating each letter and word, I was finished. I'm beginning to think that this thing is far bigger than I initially thought. The following is the English version of the document. 
Project Mindfire. Subject name 6X. Subject location cell B9, fifth floor. Location of testing. Testing trench 2.3 miles from base. Mental state unknown. Substance of testing. Mind fire gas. Contents classified. Time period of testing 20 days. Analysis from Dr. Ike. At 1600 hours on the 25th of April, we fired a test round of the gas to judge the subject's reactions. While other subjects seemed inclined to avoid the gas at all costs, 6X showed no form of resistance to the gas and appeared more relaxed than the others. Although, a recent test in the lab showed that his blood contained twice the amount of oxygen to a regular sample for unexplained reasons. On day 15, we increased 6X's intake of the gas from two regular intervals to three. His heart rate exceeded its previous average during random periods. We also tested his reactions to letting a cameraman leave and the delivery of the gas's name. He took no notice to either. Side effects include constant dependency on gas, screaming and spastic gestures during sleep, ability to see some objects in different colors through gas, and not being able to feel pains that would prove unbearable to anyone. 6X was found with deep wounds all over his body, from what we can assume is mainly from the barbed wire. We were also unable to stop him constantly grinning. Our final results were successful in wiping out the squad, although the gas failed to be both practical or efficient. Project Mindfire will be permanently discontinued, and is not viable for battle purposes. 6X has been successfully terminated in the furnace room by this time, and a distress signal was sent to the nearest British camp from Test Trench 5. Finally, I fear that the gas used is all too similar to the gas proposed to use in the sleep experiments. Until further notice, keep the gas in storage. But that was it. There was no attachment on the back, just the single report. I don't know how to feel after reading this. Hell, it was disturbing, but I wasn't disturbed by that. The thing that disturbs me is how much bigger this whole thing seems than I originally thought. Just to think that this was only one file. One file among probably thousands. Charles Patrickson is just one tiny puzzle piece of something much darker. On top of that is the fact that not a single person alive knows it exists. I searched up on the web about it, by the way. The best thing I found was a software advertisement. And afterwards, I just continued on with my regular life, like nothing ever happened. I've never had another of those disturbing Charles visions afterwards. However, I do still think of one statement from the newspaper article found beside the envelope, at the end of the report in smaller print to everything else. Bodies of men found in random trench, surrounded by forestry, with not a British or German outpost for over 100 miles in every direction. And all credit of this story goes to Ian O'Neill. Thank you so much for such a brilliant story. Well, that's certainly different. That gas, that really strikes me as something that belongs in the secure contained protect vault, right? Just another SCP to add to that growing list. Seriously, gas that's both addictive and provides pain mitigation is just crazy. Charles also mentioned it spoke to him. What the hell is that stuff? At least though, you die happy. 
possibly. Hmm, hard to say. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tomorrow, I'm going to lock down an old-time radio story just for your ears. As usual, remastered, tweaked, and ready to go just for you. If I don't tweak some of them, you might not have ears left. Their audio can be a little bit hit and miss, and one second you're listening to soft sounds and you're hit by a massive high-pitched sound or squeal. So that's my job, to keep your ears safe. Oh, and for any one of you brilliant listeners out there that has some time on their hands, I've made some quick tweaks to my mobile page, so with one click on the SoundCloud icon, you can jump to my episodes easily and listen to as many as you like there. Hope this makes life easier for those of you who are worried about signing up to anything or wondering if you need any software apps, because you don't. SoundCloud lets you listen straight from the browser, which is just excellent. I'm also working on ways to make it easier for you to subscribe and reach out to me, which you'll notice in the bottom part of your mobile once you open up my webpage. And again, it's all about making it even easier to reach out. Send stories my way, make recommendations, and generally say hi. So, join me next time, lovely listeners, my creepylicious ghouls and ghasts. And as always, till next time.